hear how the Lord is using His Word to affect our life and challenge us in all of those ways that cause us to think about the areas where we fall short and the things that we need to shore up in our life and how we need to practice those Christian virtues. It's been very impactful in my own heart, my own uh, life as I think about the truth of of what we're studying in the morning and seeing how God is orchestrating all the details of that in my own heart to share with you. Um, It's kind of ironic to me as we open the Bible tonight to the book of Galatians, if you have your Bibles, turn in them to Galatians chapter 6, because it really piggybacks on all that we're learning in Luke chapter 6, which shouldn't be all that shocking because it's Jesus Christ, right? The central feature is Jesus Christ. He is the personification of the very principles that we're talking about, love, in itself, right? God is love, and therefore Christ is love, and He is the expression of that in the most uh, imminent way, and when we have the Spirit in us and we walk by the Spirit, therefore we will live out love. And so that's what we're really talking about. Galatians chapter 6, and this wonderful description, really, of what I've entitled Christian Christian living at its best. Christian living at its best. Let's just bow before the Lord and and offer our time to Him. Father, we thank You for this time once again tonight that we can open Your Word together. Lord, I pray that You would open our hearts to the things that are here. Once again, um, having our hearts examined by You, having our lives edited, uh, challenged, uh, areas where we're weak, areas where we need to be working harder, doing better, following you more. Lord, thank you for the conviction, the grace of conviction in our life. What a what a joy it is to be able to know that our Creator God would condescend to us like you do so that we would have conviction in our heart about who we are, about who you are, and about the gospel of Jesus Christ. So use it in our life tonight as we serve you, as we honor your name through the study of your word, and may you be glorified in Christ's name. Amen. Galatians 6.1, down through verse 10, says this, Brethren, even if man is caught in any trespass, you who are spiritual, restore such a one in a spirit of gentleness, each one looking to yourself, lest you too be tempted. Bear one another's burdens, and thus fulfill the law of Christ. For if anyone thinks he is something when he's nothing, He deceives himself. Let each one examine his own work, and then he will have reason for boasting in regard to himself alone and not in regard to another. For each shall bear his own load. Let the one who is taught the word share all good things with him who teaches. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever a man sows, this he will also reap. The one who sows to his own flesh shall from the flesh reap corruption. But the one who sows to the Spirit shall from the Spirit reap eternal life. Let us not lose heart in doing good, for in due time we shall reap if we do not grow weary. So then, while we have opportunity, let us do good to all men, and especially to those who are of the household of faith. 
powerful words from the Apostle Paul as they really come in and upon the heels of what he has told us, particularly as we honed in on it in chapter 5 and verse 25. If we live by the Spirit, let us also walk by the Spirit. That is the intent of our life. That is to be the drive of our life. That is to be the outflow of our life as Christians. We have been made alive by the Spirit. Therefore, it is our life's goal, our life's drive here on this earth prior to going to glory to live by the Spirit. That simply means to obey what the Spirit commands. And so that really is a summary or could be really summed up simply to say that true Christianity or true spirituality, if you want to define it that way, is to is defined by who we are connected to, and then, and therefore, how that relationship is reflected in our lives, in the lives to others. So who we are connected to, and the outflow of that in relationship to others in the realm of our living life. As Christians, we are made, as Paul says, alive by the Spirit. And of course, that describes in a nutshell, really what took place by means of God and His mercy and grace as He makes us alive in Christ, right? We were, Ephesians 1.13 says, sealed with the Spirit of promise. So now we can be imitators of God as beloved children of God. Ephesians 5.1 tells us that. Be imitators of God. That is a high calling. That is frankly an impossible calling for anyone other than the Christian. Christians cannot are the only people walking on this globe that can imitate God. We are not gods. We will not be God. We do not have supernatural powers like God, but we can imitate God, and the only way to imitate God is to walk by the Spirit. So we are beloved children of God, given the Spirit of God, made alive in Christ by God, sealed with the seal of promise by the Spirit of God, and we can walk by the Spirit. So you can talk to a whole lot of people today, and maybe you do in your spheres of connection with others, about what it means to be a Christian, what it means to be truly a spiritual person, and there's a great deal of confusion, though the idea of Christian living is out there in the minds of people. They talk about Christianity, people have attached the word to their life, we're a Christian, I'm a Christian. Everybody seems to be using that term in their own life. In the Christian realm, the idea of 10 steps to better Christian living or spirituality certainly seems to be popular because it's, it's a great marketing ploy. You can certainly get a lot of people to buy your material if you say, i got 10 steps to a better Christian life. Many of them, though, that are out there with those kinds of titles and those kinds of things have some kind of road to Christian living, at least in them, or to spirituality, as they might call it. But it has nothing to do with God. Nothing to do with really walking by the Spirit. And if it does at all, it is really more so of a self-absorbed kind of track whereby being a Christian is defined as having some kind of 
quiet time over here and some kind of church attendance over here and some kind of conference going over here and maybe you spend a day fasting and all of these other virtues that they find in the Scriptures. And that if you do those kinds of things, you're going to come away somehow living at the height of Christianity. That's not what we find here in Galatians. That's not what the Apostle Paul is telling the believers in Galatia. Christian living or biblical spirituality is rooted in a relationship with God who has spoken to us through His Word. You're not going to become a mature Christian staying away from the Word of God. True Christianity, true Christian living is not defined by myself and how I feel about something. It's not defined by me and what I get to decide about what Christian living is. No, it's a life that is defined and directed by the existence and character of the one and only true God. He's the one who defines Christianity. He's the one who gets to say what it is and how it is to be lived. Very often, that is regardless of how I feel. There's a whole lot of times in Christian life where my feelings don't want to do what God is asking. And so I have to overcome those feelings. I have to fight against those feelings. The true Christian life flows to us from the Godhead by means of God the Spirit. We are made alive by the Spirit, and therefore we are to walk by the Spirit. So Christian living at its best is Christian living that flows from and follows the Holy Spirit. That's Christian living at its best. Why? Because the Holy Spirit doesn't produce His fruit for us for our own private enjoyment. We read the fruit of the Spirit in verses 22 and 23 of the previous chapter. That's not just for our own enjoyment. That's just not for us to just revel in those kinds of things. Following the Holy Spirit is not an exercise for our own self-fulfilling enjoyment exclusively. No, the Spirit produces fruit through us as we follow Him for the benefit of others. Certainly it matures us, certainly it grows us into Christ-likeness, and yet the fruit has an outworking, and that outworking is to benefit others. And so that simply tells us that the fruit of the Spirit is not privately exercised and experienced. It's not something that is for you and you alone. It is to be exercised and experienced in relationship to others. So we must realize this as we, as we think about chapter 6. We have to realize that following the Spirit and bearing the fruit of the Spirit, as we were told in chapter 5, verse 22 and 23, <clears throat> that it cannot be done in isolation. These things cannot be done alone. We cannot love and bear the fruit of love without interacting with others. We've seen that over and over again, even in our study of Luke, as we've even looked at 1 Corinthians chapter 13. The joy of the Spirit, which is a fruit of the Spirit, right, is born in relationship, interaction with others. The peace and patience of the Spirit are a result of interaction with others as we follow the Spirit. 
It is the fruit of the Spirit, walking with the Spirit. I cannot exercise kindness and goodness and faithfulness and gentleness or even self-control outside of personal relationship. Doesn't happen. So as Christians, the Christian life is meant to be publicly experienced and shared. And here is Paul here in Galatians chapter 6 showing us how to be spiritual in the lives of each other. How we are to be spiritual in the lives of each other. He says, you who are spiritual, right? So he says, those who are following the Spirit, Galatians 5, 22 and 23, walk by the Spirit. Those who are following the Spirit seek to restore others in sin, Galatians 6, verse 1. They are their brother's keeper, Galatians 6, verse 2. They consider others, verses 3 through 5, and they give to others, verse 6. They restore others in sin. They are their brother's keeper. They consider others, and they give to others. Those or what we want to kind of begin to dive into more tonight. We, we've talked about this first one, seek to restore others in sin, Galatians 6.1, but, but it's been probably four weeks, I think, since we've been here. I probably could have not even prepared for tonight any new notes from this text and preached what I preached last time, and none of us would have known any better. <clears throat> but I'm not going to do that. But I do want to review for us a bit that first one, seek to restore others who are in sin. You notice that Paul is talking to Christians. He isn't saying that all people can do this. This isn't a principle for the world at large. He says, brethren. Brethren, that means you who are Christians. Remember, he, he has already chastened them at the beginning of Galatians, said, I'm fearing that, that you've walked away from Christ, that you've left the one who, who called you into life, right? You, you've walked away from him. You're truly not saved at all. And yet here he is in verse 6, after he gets down to, to verses 25 and says if you if you're alive by the spirit if we live by the spirit then this is how we walk and then he's talking to those who are walking by the spirit brethren you who are the christian you who are spiritual you are the genuinely saved ones and i think this is important for us to have in our minds as we look at this because far too often especially when it comes to dealing with sin issues, dealing with issues between one another in the church or, or Christian brothers and sisters, right? When we're dealing with things like that, the typical default position for us as Christians is just to avoid the situation. I just, I'm just checking out. I, I don't want to get involved. I, I, I'd rather not get involved with it, right? Confrontation. Who, who likes confrontation? Anybody? Love loves confrontation. Why? Because love always is seeking the best. But we, in our sinfulness, would rather stay out of confrontation situations. That's not love, right? And the fruit of the Spirit is following the Spirit of love, right? The fruit of the Spirit is love. That's the very first thing. 
And we know that it's not a sentimental kind of love. We've, we've talked about that ad infinitum in our study in the morning. But rather, it's a conscious choice to seek what is best for another. Sometimes that means i got to confront. And so Paul says, when you're following the Spirit, when you are living the Christian life at its best, when you're living out love, The fruit of love is evident in your life, and one of the ways that it's evident in your life is that if a person is caught in a sin, notice he says, if a man is caught in any trespass, he doesn't mean just men there, he means any person. It's the word anthropos there, but that means any person. That's not just a man, some guy. And then he uses this adjective there, which means anyone or any kind of sin. They're caught in any kind of trespass. So Paul's talking to us who are part of the church of God. He's talking to us who are saved because we've been made alive by the Spirit and we are to confront and deal with sin. That's love. That's love. What kind of sin are we dealing with? Doesn't matter. Any kind of sin. Doesn't really matter what kind of sin. Anytime a Christian is caught in a sin, we have to deal with it. We can't just say, listen, I'm not going to get involved. The word caught, we talked about last time. That's the whole idea of being trapped, right? We said, if if you think of it like a road race or something, the the runner is being overtaken by another. It's the idea here, the lead runner being overtaken by something behind him. He's, He's trapped by it. He's caught by it. Well, here it's sin. They're overtaken by sin. They're trapped by sin. It's winning over them. What kind of sin? Doesn't matter. Could be anything. Small sin could be a very grievous sin. Doesn't really matter what the sin is. Any sin. Notice, those who are spiritual are to restore the sinning brother or sister. That's their task. You who are spiritual, restore. Restore. That's those who are walking by the Spirit. That's who goes. The spiritual. Those who are walking by the Spirit. Now that means that staying uninvolved or not doing something isn't an option. Because if we're Christians and we live by the Spirit, then we're walking by the Spirit. We should be walking by the Spirit. And if we're walking by the Spirit, we must love because that's the outwork of the Spirit. Love shows in our life, therefore I have to get involved. I can't just sit back. If you know of it and do nothing, you're not loving them. That's the idea. And if we are not loving them, then we're not following the Spirit. If we're not following the Spirit, we're following the flesh. And if we're following the flesh, then we're sinning. Someone needs to come to us and restore us because we're doing that. That's not Christianity at its best. If we're doing that, if we're just following our own flesh, then we're staying away, and that's not Christianity at its best. So it's impossible to follow the Spirit and not be involved in each other's lives. It's impossible. We can't stay isolated. When we are involved in each other's lives, then we will be dealing with the issues of life. We'll be dealing with one another. We will be in discipleship relationships whereby there is this... uh, interaction that takes place where we're confronting and helping and coming alongside and restoring one another. 
So Paul says that, you who are spiritual, restore such a one. You who are following the Spirit, you who are walking by the Spirit, you who are thinking in a godly way and obeying the Word of God, you go and restore that one. That's interesting, isn't it? It implies something here in in the words. We are to be following the Spirit. We are to be obeying the Word of God. And therefore, none of us can say, without being challenged in it, none of us can say, well, I can't go to them. I'm not spiritual enough. We can't say that. Not honestly. We cannot honestly say, I, I just don't know enough of the Bible. Listen, we're called to follow the Spirit. Open the Bible, walk in obedience to the Scriptures. You're spiritual enough to go. The fact of the matter is that we will never be spiritual enough in and of ourselves. We can never say, hey, I got it. I finally arrived at a pinnacle and a place in my spiritual life where I have enough to go. I'm always there if I'm walking by the Spirit. Why? Because when we go to someone trapped in sin, we don't give them our own personal advice. We're not there to tell them how we'd do it, how we'd live in our own flesh, and how we'd carry it out fleshly. No, we go there with the advice of God. We go there to tell them what God says, because that's the only thing that can help them. We don't go there to tell them what we think. We don't have any good counsel to anybody. Only God has counsel for everybody. So when I follow the Spirit... I have what I need to restore them. The fact of the matter is that all of us need restoration from time to time, right? That's the fact, right? It's true. In walking by the Spirit, I grow in my spirituality. That's true. As I walk by the Spirit, as I obey Christ, I get more and more mature in Christ. I mature in my faith, and I'm better equipped to fight the spiritual battles that God allows for my growth and for His good. As God allows circumstances in my life to come, and I walk by the Spirit, I'm, I'm maturing in my faith. I'm maturing in my endurance. I'm maturing in my strength to overcome those kinds of things. And yet, there are times. There are times in my life when I choose not to follow the Spirit. It's not that I can't follow the Spirit. It's just that I sinfully choose not to follow the Spirit. I've been equipped by God. I've been made alive by the Spirit. So I have everything I need to follow the Spirit, and yet I choose sometimes not to follow the Spirit. And in those times, what do I need? I need brothers and sisters who are spiritual, those who are walking by the Spirit, who are in the family of God, to come alongside me and help restore me. So if a person has been overtaken by a sin... Paul says, you who are spiritual, you have an obligation. You have an obligation to go to them and to help them. That's our ministry to one another. People say in the church, I don't know what ministry I have. Well, there's a ministry you have. That's a ministry we all have as Christians. We have to go to one another, be in each other's lives, dealing with the issues of life. So Paul isn't saying, hey, listen, guys, you who are perfect go to the ones who, who are sinning, and you guys restore them because after all, you got it all together. He's not saying that. No, if that's the criteria, then none of us are going to go to each other because sin would never be dealt with because the side, this side of glory, none of us are going to ever arrive there. So Paul's not saying that. Paul is simply saying, look at your life. Look for the outworking of the Spirit's fruit in your life. 
you're following the Spirit, living by the Spirit, then His fruit is going to be evident in your life. Not perfectly, but it is going to be evident in your life. It will be there. So look at your life. If there's a pattern of spiritual fruit in your life, then this is you. This is who Paul's talking to. Brethren. So he says, you who are spiritual, restore them. We know what that term means, right? Put them back to the original condition. Help them get back to where they need to be. All right, we talked about this last time. Someone takes an old dilapidated and broken piece of furniture, I told you, and, and restores it. They, they take it apart. They, they repair the parts that are creaking. They sand it down. They put a new finish on it. They restore it to its original condition. That's what Paul's talking about. So as you and I rub against one another, living in the family of God, from time to time we come across other Christians that are broken by sin. Come across one another and we notice there's a disfigurement. Our lives are coming apart. Something's going on. And God calls us to help restore them back to the original condition. It's like an orthopedic surgeon would set a bone in place. They set it, they restore it back to its original condition. Sometimes it's, it's hard work. Sometimes it needs surgery. Sometimes you snap it back into place and it's not, it's not easy. It hurts. There's pain involved. doesn't mean if you go to someone, it's just going to be simple. Oh, hey, no problem. No, there's usually going to be pain involved. Other times it may get extremely surgical. And other times you have to take outside equipment, screws and plates, and help that bone stay in place. But either way, it's all to restore it to its original condition. That's what God's saying to us in this verse. Christian living at its best is live that way. When sin happens, we get involved. Why? Because love demands us to. So that's the first thing we looked at. Second is this. Christian living at its best is seen in bearing the burdens of one another or as I stated it earlier, we are our brother's keeper. Notice what he says in verse 2. Bear one another's burdens and thus fulfill the law of Christ. Bear one another's burdens and thus fulfill the law of Christ. Martin Luther said this concerning this very passage. He said, quote, strong shoulders and mighty bones. Christians need strong shoulders and mighty bones. I think he's right. Because where the work of restoring a sinning brother requires helping them return to normal practice, back to their original condition, as we saw, it's the setting of a broken bone, right? That's the idea. Being our brother's keeper requires carrying the stretcher. One requires helping set the bone. The other requires being on triage and carrying the stretcher. I find it interesting here because this verse implies that as Christians, we will have burdens. Paul says, bear one another's burdens. That implies that we all have them. We all have burdens. And those burdens are often too heavy for us to carry alone. 
being caught in a sin surely would cause a burden to bear, and we need help with that, right? We need spiritual ones to come alongside us and to help restore us, Paul said. But there are other burdens that need others in our life just to help carry. Like what? Well, like excessive sorrow in our life over some issue that is happening in our life. Maybe we've lost someone or there's some other thing going on in our life whereby we have excessive sorrow in our life. Maybe it's doubt in our life that is just burdening us and we're always down. Maybe there's some kind of failure that we are experiencing in our life and we just seem to not be able to handle that well. Loneliness, illnesses, thoughts about life that are confusing and troublesome. Each and every one of us has those kinds of issues in our lives. We are often incapable of handling them on our own. As I was preparing my notes for tonight, I was thinking, is incapable the right word? Should you say that word? Should it be incapable? And I wondered about that if I should use a different word, like maybe unable or unable. But the fact is that there are times when we simply need others to help. And so we are incapable of bearing the weight. We're incapable. Sometimes our burdens are so heavy that they need to be shared with and cared for with and by others. They're just so heavy for us. Somebody will say, well, doesn't God carry our burdens? Surely God has carried our burdens. He certainly carries our burdens. He has carried the heaviest of all of our burdens and He bore it on the cross. And of course, that was a burden that only He could bear. None of us could bear that with Him. And the fact that God has carried that burden certainly tells us that He can carry any of our burdens. And He, in fact, does carry our burdens. But the way He has designed to have our burdens carried is often through the help of others. God is ultimately carrying them, but He's carrying them through the means of other believers coming alongside. In fact, I would dare say that sometimes we are overly discouraged in a situation or a circumstance because we are attempting to carry the load ourselves. When God has given us one another. You say, really? Do we do that, Pastor? Well, here's one of the New England phrases that contributes to this in our lives. Here it is. You ready? Three words. I'm all set. I'm all set. I saw some of you mouthing that when I was saying, because you knew it. You knew it was that. I'm all set. That's the New England way, isn't it? I'm all set. I'm all good. I don't need help. I'm all set. That's not how it ought to be, though. It's not how it ought to be. Certainly, there are many times when that is an appropriate answer. I'm all good. But honestly, much of the time, it's simply just a prideful unwillingness to allow for help. That's all it is. This is especially true when it comes to spiritual burdens. And yet, here is Paul writing to us, exhorting each of us who walks by the Spirit. 
Paul is exhorting us to be the spiritual bellhop in the lives of others and come to them and pick up their luggage. Take their luggage. That means as a Christian, I must not keep all of the troubles that I'm bearing to myself. I have to be willing to share my burdens. We have to learn to not say, I'm all set. We have to learn to say that. Heavy loads have to be shared. Why? Because heavy loads are not to be borne alone. And those who could help need to be enlisted in help by the one who's under the burden. Together, each helps carry the load. How? How do we do that? Well, sometimes it's just praying for them. Sometimes we go and somebody shares something with us and we, we pray with them. We pray and God, through that means of intercession on their behalf, lightens that load. They go away sensing a lighter load. Sometimes it's encouraging words. Sometimes we share some encouraging words with them. Sometimes it's just a a gentle embrace of them and saying, it's okay, I understand, let me help you. Sometimes it's just sitting quietly and listening. Oftentimes we go to one another, somebody sharing the burdens, we think we got to have the answer, right? We think we got to say something. Sometimes we don't have to say anything. We just need to listen. Other times we should be sharing words of exhortation. It might come by means of helping someone, some sharing of a burden. Maybe you're cleaning a home. Maybe you're making a meal. Maybe you're washing someone's dishes. Maybe you're giving something meaningful to them. Maybe you're handing them a biblical book that you know of that someone could read, has written and would be helpful to them. There's a myriad of ways that we can bear the burdens of each other, and it ought to be happening every time we know that someone is having a difficulty in carrying their load, whether it's physical or spiritual, but especially spiritual. We are aware of the load. We ought to step in and carry it. We have to come in as that stretcher carrier. We ought to be sharing it so that others will come and help us. We cannot hold it into ourselves. I've heard it here as we, as a church, we've said this from time to time in our church, and it's true, right? Many hands make light work. We say that. We're going to do that after service, right? We're going to move some chairs. There's several guys here. I'm sure we'll do it in no time because many hands make light work. But let's not forget that many hands don't only make light work in a physical way. Many hands make light work in a spiritual way. Notice what Paul says. Whenever we are bearing the burdens of one another, we are, notice what he says, fulfilling the law of Christ. Bear one another's burdens and thus fulfill the law of Christ. Doesn't it seem strange that Paul would say that? I mean, Paul saying here, fulfill the law when he has written extensively about not being under the law? 
I mean, Galatians is all about that. You're not under the law, right? You're, you're not the, you, you don't have that burden upon you. And yet here he's saying, you bearing the burden of your brother or sister in the Lord is fulfilling the law of Christ. It almost seems strange that Paul would talk about that. Remember what he said back in chapter 5, verse 14, for the whole law is fulfilled in one word in the statement, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. We are called to keep the law of love. We are equipped to keep the law of love, particularly because we are now saved from the curse of the law. Right? In other words, because through Jesus Christ, the requirement of the law for gaining righteousness has been completely fulfilled. Christ has accomplished what we could never accomplish by doing what we could never do to gain righteousness. But because of that, now we are equipped by the Spirit of Christ to live according to the law for God's glory. So justification comes through Christ alone. He fulfilled the righteous requirement of the law because He alone is righteous. He, in saving us, has therefore equipped us to live out the law of love to one another, which is the second greatest commandment. So we can do that. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and your neighbor as yourself. So when Paul says here in verse 2 that through bearing one another's burdens, we are fulfilling the law of Christ, he means that we are loving, through our loving one another, we are loving one another as Christ has loved us. That is Christian living at its best. When we are interacting with one another through love to one another, we are doing what Christ has done. We are fulfilling what Christ said in John chapter 5 and verse 12. This is my commandment that you love one another as I have loved you. So we are fulfilling the law of Christ. So when Paul says the law of Christ, it's the law of loving one another. One way to fulfill the law of loving one another is by bearing the burdens of each other. We are our brother's keeper. That means that not only are we willing to help others who are under heavy loads, but we are also willing to go restore those who are caught in sin. Love does both. By caring for one another, we reflect that we are walking by the Spirit. When we love each other in that way, when we're willing to come alongside one another and bear the burdens of one another, when we go to one another and and help restore one who's caught in a trespass, we are showing that we actually are walking by the Spirit. We're walking by the law of love. Which is the essence of the fruit of the Spirit, isn't it? Fruit of the Spirit is love. Joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. In other words, there's no condemnation upon you. It proves that you are in the Spirit. There's no law over you. There's no curse over you. You belong to Christ. So while we are not saved by keeping the law of Christ, we being in Christ are equipped to fulfill the law of Christ. Therefore, we have to continue to love our neighbors 
as ourselves. We have to bear the burdens of one another, even when it's uncomfortable, even when we don't want to. We have to put our feelings aside and go to one another. We have to be like Christ. Christ showed His love for us when He bore our burdens on the cross. We go to one another bearing their burdens. So Christian living at its best is seen through the ministry of restoring. It is seen through the ministry of bearing one another's burdens. And also through the ministry of considering one another and giving to one another. And we don't have time to get into all that tonight. So I want to I want to stop there tonight. We'll get to the final two next time. But I want us to just go away tonight with this reminder that we are to be engaged with one another. We're going to walk by the Spirit. Proving that we live by the Spirit. And we must be in the lives of one another. For the good of each other as we fulfill the law of Christ. We'll get to considering one another and giving next time. Let's pray together. Father, tonight again, we thank You for Your gentle exhortation to us. What it means to have our lives reflecting Christ. To be living the Christian life at its best is to be living out this law of love. Thank You that in Christ we have the ability to do that. Lord, help us not be isolationists. Help us not be so self-prideful that we are unwilling to share our burdens with one another. We are here for one another. You have created us a family of Yours that You might minister to each one of us through each one of us as we follow the Spirit. Lord, help us do that faithfully. Use us in each other's lives to mold us and shape us into Christ-likeness. And help us be those that would go and help others out of love, out of concern, out of gentleness. Not looking at ourselves and saying, hey, you need to be like me. but Simply looking to Christ. You receive all the glory, all the honor. Eclipse us and shine your character through us in these ways, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.